the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pride, it is at the heart of all our sin. And when we find ourselves with enough of it, it's good once in a while to be humbled by God, be reminded of who He is and who we are and the vast differences. Join us. Abounding Grace is next. Welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We're looking once again at Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. It's a message simply entitled, Job's Repentance. And indeed, when God reveals himself the way he does to Job, it's a natural response to find yourself in the dust before God, repenting of any prideful moments we may have had thinking we were self-righteous. Join us for a very encouraging look at how to respond to God's grace in His revelation. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. It wasn't like Job cried, Uncle, okay, the arm wrestling match is too much for me, Lord. No, what Job did was he repented of his wrestling with God at all. He repented of complaining, thinking he could understand God's ways and realize, like David did later in his life, he should have just fallen into the hands of the Lord without complaining or having even one thought, I understand what God is doing. But I tell you, what a humbling lesson. You know, we may complain against God, don't we, at least a thousand times. We may never really verbalize it, Maybe sometimes we do. The Lord's not fair. I don't have a wife. Or Lord, you're treating me too roughly. Or Lord, life is just too hard here. You should deal with me gently. Or maybe we sin and the Lord chastens us. Or our parents rebuke us. Or my spouse doesn't agree with me and I'm not getting my way. And we say, that's enough, Lord. I've been chastened enough. And we forget the Lord scourges every son and daughter he receives. Hebrews 12 verse 6. Even if we think to ourselves this chastening has gone on long enough. You know this trouble in my marriage has gone on long enough. This trouble with my children has gone on long enough. This trouble with my body, this trouble with my finances, this trouble with my job. All of this has gone on too long, Lord. What are you doing? Again, we may not verbalize this, but Job did. Beloved, this is a chafing against God, even if it is only in your thoughts. This is is in effect saying, I know what is best for me. And Job here finally recognizes, I don't have a clue what is best for me. Do you believe this about yourself? I don't have a clue what is best for me. I've got God's word and 
I have the mind of Christ and I try to apply it. I wouldn't want to downplay any of this and Job wouldn't either. These are blessings, but at a high level, when it comes to God's providential dealings with us, we do not have a clue, but he knows perfectly all things. He knows all the means that he is going to use to accomplish his will in our lives, and our place is not the question but to trust. Now, this is different from Islam. In Islam, of course, a person may serve Mr. Allah faithfully all of his life and even blow himself up in a crowded bazaar. And an imam may have told him, okay, you blow yourself up and then you will be a nice little Muslim in the paradise of 72 virgins. But when he stands before Allah, Allah may just as readily assign him to the abyss of hell forever because Allah can do whatever he wants to do. There's no binding on him, not even his own character. It is a very ugly doctrine in Islam, with e which even imams struggle with. But the Quran, Quran is cl clearly teaches it. There's no trusting in Allah like we trust in God. When we say, God, you can do everything... When we say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, there is something else that comes in. There is trust. There's no trust in Islam. But God has made a covenant with us. And he has revealed his love and his mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we fall into the hands of the Lord, when we say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, we always fall back on what he does, knowing he loves me in his son. And no evil shall happen to the righteous. And he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. So let's be quick to confess with Job. Lord, you know, I oftentimes do speak what I do not understand. I complain when I shouldn't. I think I'm competent to stand in judgment of you. I even trust my own wisdom when I am but a child. You know, it was interesting that when, Lord, when the Lord came to Solomon, when he had just recently been crowned, and God said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. It's almost as if, you know, a genie in the lamp came and said, I'll give you three wishes, Solomon. Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon said, I'm a child, and I don't know how to go in, and I don't know how to go out. So would you just give me wisdom? Now granted, keep this in mind, if the Lord hadn't already given him wisdom, some wisdom, he would have never asked for this. But that is exactly the attitude we need to have about our lives. By the way, that is why we pray and study scripture. You know, the more humble you are, the more you will study God's word. The more prideful you are, you will never crack it open. But we realize if God has humbled us, we know I'm just a child. I don't know how to go in and I don't know how to come out. I know nothing unless God is my teacher. And that is what Job turns to in verse 4. He says, I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. And that's probably not the best translation. 
because the verb demand there usually just means to beg or to beseech. So in effect, Job is saying, Lord, hear me, I'm repenting, I'm begging something from you. Please teach me. This is one of the most beautiful sources and fruit of repentance. I'll summarize it in one word. Meekness. To be meek before the Lord is to be teachable. And Job expresses here very strongly, Lord, I'm going to shut up and I just want you to teach me. Father, teach me more. Show me more of your glory. It's interesting that with the same earnestness that before he was demanding an audience from God, now he says, Lord, teach me. Teach me. Show me your ways and I will listen. Now, Job again here, I just want to be clear, is not being presumptuous. He is, he is intensely humbled by the Lord's glory and this posture is always the fruit of repentance. We don't try to teach God or put demands upon Him. Have you ever tried to do that? You know, your wife comes up to you and confronts you with something, and you say, okay, okay, I'm sorry, but you've done this too. Or maybe you go to your child, parent, and you say, you know you really need to deal with this. And your child says, well, maybe I do, but it's really your fault because you were mad when you talked to me. Job was done with all of that. Job was like, no demands, no excuses. Oh, Lord, just teach me. You see, repentance breaks pride. So instead of thinking we understand and we can teach God, we come to him and just plead with him to take us by the hand and teach us the way we should think and the way we should live. Meekness is such a wonderful thing. And I want to read several verses to you of promises of meekness and for God to humble us to teachableness. First, Psalm 25, 9. And you don't need to follow along. Just listen. Psalm 25, 9. The meek will he guide in judgment. And the meek will he teach his way. Psalm twenty-two twenty-six: The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Psalm, Psalm 37, 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Our Savior says of himself in Matthew eleven twenty-nine: I am meek and lowly of spirit. Now, when you think of meekness, don't think of being limp-wristed and soft, because that's not what meekness is. That is the par parody of meekness that the world likes to make, because it doesn't know anything of the beauty and the strength of humility. And quite frankly, it's embarrassed by it. Meekness is when we are brought to the place like Job was, where we confess our sins to the Lord and only want Him to teach us. Meekness is when we say with our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done about everything in my life. Because whether I live or die, I do so unto you, Lord. You know, meekness is an incredible gift. Moses, we are told, was the meekest man that ever lived. 
And yet he went right into the presence of the Pharaoh and gave him God's word. Meekness enabled Nehemiah to make his request to the Persian monarch and the three Hebrew children to resist Nebuchadnezzar's evil decree. I actually thought they must have been working out. And that's why they were able to be so strong. You know, they've been lifting weights and in that Persian gym. No, of course not. It's meekness that makes a man really strong. We, were, we are humbled before the Lord and want Him to be our teacher. And we crave Him. And we say, Lord, you say the meek will, you will guide in judgment. And the meek you will teach your way. Oh, Lord, please make me teachable. That is what makes us strong, beloved. Meekness is what, is what enabled Stephen and Acts to stand there and to continue to take the rocks and preach Jesus at the same time because he was humbled before God and he only wanted God to be his teacher. You know, the list of God's meek ones is long and glorious. It's mothers who quietly and faithfully take care of the home and guard their children in obedience to God without grumbling or complaining. Husbands that lead their families before the throne of grace with an open Bible. Preachers that proclaim the word of God without compromise. God highly values meekness. And we see here in Job 42 that that is finally where he brought Job. Job has been talking like a professor of religion. Job's been talking as if he understands providence. And he says, Lord, I have integrity, and you've given me godliness, and I've served you all my days, and I have already confessed that you, confessed that you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. Lord, these sufferings have been going on long enough here. I'm tired of this. My children are dead. Everything I had is gone. I'm covered in boils. I look like a rotting corpse in the ground. And Job, of course, at the time still looks like that rotting corpse. He hasn't taken a bath yet. He doesn't have his children any longer. And all of his property has largely been stolen. But now he's brought back to be a beautiful corpse because he is meek before the Lord. And he wants the Lord to teach him. So where do we get this meekness? There's only one place. I can't do it for you. And you can't do it for me. We must be confronted with the majesty, the glory, the goodness, the power, and the grace of God. You might say, okay, let God, to me, let God come to me in a whirlwind and then I will be meek. Well, that's not what he does any longer. We see this in Second Peter chapter 1. What we have is better than a world when, my friends, even though most men don't think so. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 17 speaks of the glory that he and James and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration and said, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. They heard God's voice from the glory cloud. 
when we were with him in the holy mount. Verse 19. We also have a more sure way of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until, that, until the day dawn and the day star arises in your hearts. What is he talking about? What is this light? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter here says, we have God's completed word. We have the scriptures. So let's apply it like this. Show me a man who was not much in the word, and I'll show you a man who was a moral coward and a compromise, compromiser in process. Or he may be orthodox, but he is cold. He may maintain control outwardly of his actions and, and maybe even of his family, but he doesn't have any peace and joy in the Lord. But show me a man who is before the light, before the light of God's word. Show me a woman, show me a young man who takes seriously God's word when he says, and I write it unto you, young men, because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Show me a young man who is regularly before an open Bible, looking at God's majesty and goodness and love and wisdom and truth, who attends constantly on the preaching of the word, and I will show you a man whom God has tamed and whom God will use to glorify himself in his home and in his church and society. Now, he may not be a man of many words. He may be a man or a woman who stands in a quiet place to serve the Lord. But the blessing of God rests upon everything he does. Why? Because of his dedication to God's word. It's almost one of the most important things God does to us as his children. He makes us teachable. Calvin, unlike Luther, didn't talk much about his conversion. But he does say in his preface, in his commentary on the Psalms, there came an hour in which God subdued my heart to teachableness. That is what God does. Not my will, O oh Lord, not my thoughts, not my complaint, not my assessment of how I think things should go, but what you want. Now let's look at Psalm 32.8. I would encourage you to memorize this verse because it is the blessing that God gives to his meek ones. So pray this every day this week. In fact, pray it every day of your life. I have prayed Psalm 25, 9 many, many times. It says, forgive me for not being teachable before you, for being willful, for being peevish, for not liking it when life doesn't go my way. Now here is the blessing for the meek, Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be thee not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. What a contrast. I remember as a young man, my mom telling me, stop being a mule head. Of course, I asked her, 
what is a mule head? And she said it was a Mideastern term for someone who was stubborn. And we see that actually here on our text. You can't get a mule to do anything unless you put a bit in its mouth and a whip in your hand. The Lord says, don't be like a mule. Don't be like a horse. Is that you? God has to take you kicking and snorting. Do you have parents you don't listen to because you think, oh, I'm 17 years old and I'm just as smart as a whip. I hate to tell you, but at 17, you don't know Jack Squat. I didn't either. And the Lord says to us, don't be like a mule. Instead, be meek and teachable. And I'll add to that so you don't take offense, young people. I'm 67 and I still don't know much. Paul says, if anyone says he knows anything as he ought, he knows nothing. And that's each one of us. That is why the Lord here promises, I will instruct you. Isn't that a great promise? Wouldn't you like to know that everything that happens to you in your life is God? God is going to follow you and teach you. And boy, at the end of verse 8, isn't that a great encouragement? I will guide you with my eye. Did your mom or dad ever give you the evil eye, a raise of the eyebrow and that stare? The Lord says, I'm just going to give you a nod. I'm just going to look over there. And it's just figurative speech, but it is beautiful. And you're just going to want to go because I'm instructing you and I'm teaching you and I have made your heart pliable before me. So let me encourage you again. Be in the Word. Ask God to open your mind to the glorious things that He has done and is doing. If you are a tamed man, God will use you in your home, I promise you. If you are a tamed wife, remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. A meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price. Do you hear that? There are not many things in Scripture that are said to be in God's sight of great value, but a meek and a quiet and a teachable spirit. And that's what we see in Job in chapter 42.4. He just says, Lord, I beg you to teach me. I'm going to listen. I've been talking too much. Now, why does Job come to this? He says in verse 5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but, of the ear, but now my eyes have seen thee. What? That's a difficult verse. I have to confess this because it may seem on the surface to contradict what Scripture everywhere teaches, that the just walks by faith. Not by seeing. And Job would seem to be saying here, Lord, I've heard, but now I see. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, Job didn't see God. For Jesus said, remember in John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him through Himself. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.18, Who no man has seen or can see, he is the invisible, the only wise God. Now, it's certain that God appeared to Job in the whirlwind, which was a visible representation of his glory. 
But then what did God do to Job? He talked to him. He gave him his word. He asked him questions. It was God speaking to Job that caused Job to finally see him who was invisible. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 